Well, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. How you guys doing? All right, weekly check-in. Who hasn't started Christmas shopping yet? Just one. Okay, we're, two. Okay, we're good. I mean, you guys aren't good, but everyone else, we're good. <laughs> um, I'm so happy to be here today. And oh, the other question, who's done Christmas shopping? Like, you've checked that box. You're just waiting for the date. Theoden, don't even put your hand up. You don't shop. <laughs> Um, super excited to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn it to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to continue on uh, with our series of, of the names of Jesus this Christmas season. And um, let me tell you, oh, also real quick, um, if you didn't get a cinnamon roll this morning, there's only a few left. So after church, make sure you go add to your sugar intake. They're delicious. Um, if you've been with us the past a few weeks, you now we've been talking about the names of Jesus, and we've talked about Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and we're going to continue on that with the passage in Isaiah. And we've been talking about how, you know, 700 years before the fact, so 2,700 years ago now, Isaiah wrote this passage, and God foretold the story of his, the birth of his son, this amazing baby who was going to be ultimately the Prince of Peace and Emmanuel, God with us. Now, if you go to Isaiah chapter 9, uh, we're going to read this together. Um, it says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Now, what, what I want to do today is continue through our progression here, um, going through the names of God. And two weeks ago, like I said, we talked about wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor and how, how Jesus came in, you know, the best counselor we could ever have. And last week, we talked about why he's called mighty God. And the direct translation in Hebrew was mighty, mighty God. And it's how great it is. And I know that last week we did a, a thing with everyone where we had the the, the boxes up here. One was mighty problems, one was mighty God, and we had a moment where we actually got to say, you know, symbolically, like, God, we're going to give you our mighty problems because you are so much bigger than our mighty problems. The, you know, there's nothing you can't handle. And it was, a, I thought, a very powerful moment where we got to just stand before God and say, I'm giving this to you today. And, and today we're going to unpack Everlasting Father. And, and primarily this is going to be, be a heart message. Like, what, what, is the, what is a father? What is an everlasting father? And, and I hope we can, as we do this, look at the nativity a little different when we see that little baby as an everlasting father. But, but the word everlasting is something that we hear often. And as a matter of fact, um, I think most of us could probably, if you, uh, I mean, I, I watched this as a kid, but you may know what this is if you see it up here. Who knows what that is? The Everlasting Gobstopper from Willy Wonka in the, Char the Charlie and Chocolate Factory, the Gene Wilder version, right? We have the Everlasting Gobstopper. Now, this up-and-coming candy in the movie, this was going to revolutionize the candy industry, right? This was one of the subplots of this movie for some of the characters. The thing behind this candy was, you know, no matter how much you suck on it and suck on it and suck on it, it would never shrink, it would never go away, it would just be full of flavor as long as you sucked on it. Now, kids today probably wouldn't suck on it, they'd just chew the thing and it'd be gone. You know, how many licks does it take to get the center of a Tootsie Pop? You don't know. You just chew the thing. But the gobstopper, this thing would never go away. And, you know, in one of the plots of the movie was, you know, one of the kids was tasked with stealing the gobstopper, stealing the recipe for the gobstopper because this was everlasting. And if you had the recipe for something that would never go away, you could change the world. Now, if you had an opportunity to have a real everlasting gobstopper, and I know they sell them now in their circles and those things are not everlasting. I've had who knows how many hundreds of those in my life. 
But if you had an opportunity to have an everlasting gobstopper, how many of you have a sweet tooth? You'd say, yes, I'll take one or more. Yeah, I was, I was like, all right, I'll take three. <laughs> it doesn't matter, the number go away, I just want three. There's lots of things in life, I think, we would say, if this was everlasting, I would want it. I would want it, and I would never want it to go away. And so there's an everlasting wish list that I found online. And these are things people actually said. If you could have an everlasting supply of something, these were the top hits. Number one, surprise, surprise, money. <laughs> everlasting supply of money. Number two, everlasting supply of food. Number three, this one honestly was not online. This is my personal one. An everlasting internet connection from Comcast that does not go out. <laughs> yes, if you follow me on social media, you know it's a bi-weekly thing. Our internet is gone and it drives me insane. It's a fantasy. It'll never happen. The next one, though, that was online, the feeling of happiness. And then the last one, I love this one, the love of a parent. The love of a parent. Everlasting love of parents. I think that's deep. That, that's, that's powerful. That one, that one, honestly, aside from the Comcast one, spoke a lot to me when I, when I found it. Now, speaking of, of everlasting love of parents, how many of us can fill in this blank? All of us, I think, can fill in this blank. You could say, my dad is blank. My dad is blank. And whatever word you want to use to describe him. Maybe you'll have one word to fill that in. Maybe you'll have a, a few words to fill that in. Uh, maybe if you're online joining us, you could type that in. My dad is blank. But there are so many dads in the world, or so many people that want to be dads, so many words that can describe a dad. But I think we all have a different word, some good, some maybe not so good, though, depending on who you ask how to fill in this word. Some people could say, my dad is terrific. But there would be others, just as many, that would say, my dad is terrible. When Aurora was little, and now Avery, um, you could, I could say this to him, who am I, or who is your dad? And they would say, Superman. And that was awesome. And I tell them, good, that means I'm not super lame. You know, I'm Superman. At least until I tell them they can't do something, then the Superman title disappears pretty quick. Some would say this, my dad is very, very strong. Some would say, my dad is very, very weird. That's something Aurora actually says a lot now. When she goes to school, she goes, dad, I tell my friends, they, we're talking about dads, I go, my dad is weird. And I look at her, I go, that's right, I am, yeah. Some would say, my dad is very, very kind. You may have some, though, that say, my dad is very, very cruel. There's a lot of mixture of people in the world, and there's a lot of mixtures of dads when it comes down to it. But God knew that we were, we'd be in a fallen world. God, God knew that fathers would have faults and be flawed because there are no perfect parents, except for Stephanie. But every, every dad has defects, Every one of us, we, we, we have defects. Every, every mom is, is marred, and, and no kids are complete because they don't come with instructions, right? When, when you have a kid, you immediately enter the world of on-the-job training. That's no, no book you read can properly prep you for it. See, you know. No book you read can properly prep you for it. It's just on-the-job training. It happens, and you're thrust into it. And it's often easy to wonder, God, did you know what you were doing? Did you know when you put so many sinners in one house, did you really know what you were going to do to this? Did you, did you know what was going to happen? Did you know my kids were going to say this to me? Did you know this was going to unfold the way it is? Truth is, he did know what he was doing. 
He knew exactly what he was doing, and he's known it for all time. And we know this because he came to fix, repair, and redeem relationships. He came as the ultimate father figure to fix our flawed father figure. We serve a God who always has been. He will always be the one who steps from eternity's past and walks into your present right now from this day to love you and be your everlasting father. This is one of the gifts he gives. In Galatians 4, 1 through 7, it says this. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I love that. We are an heir to God. We, we receive through Christ the Father who's not defective, but one who wants to show up on your behalf. One, one who wants to, he came as a gift, an everlasting thing he gives to his son. He gives to us because we become his sons and daughters. We are heirs with Jesus. We go back to the Old Testament scripture and prophecy we've been looking at the past couple weeks, Isaiah 9, everlasting father. And note how as a child is born, this is the baby, but he already has that title. This baby is the everlasting father, something that will not end, everlasting, something that is for all eternity. And, and we see right here in this passage, uh, this Christianity 101, 101, sorry, 101. We have the doctrine of the Trinity, with which you know, every, everyone who's, who's grown up in church has, has maybe heard the phrase, the, the Trinity, you know, God the, the Father, Jesus the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. We see God the Father send his son Jesus, who was fully God, and we have this man who comes, and then he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. All these attributes are exclusive to the Godhead. So when we see, when we see these three working together, we've got to know that they have all these qualities together. We have God who is omnipotent. An omnipotent, fancy word saying, he is all-powerful. He comes to us, and he is, Jesus is all-powerful, and the Spirit is all-powerful. All three have this. All three, omnipresent. God occupies every space. Every space of our lives, he's there. Every moment of every day, Jesus does this for us. The spirit does this for us. The Godhead is omniscient. It's all-knowing. It's all-knowing. Jesus, they know it all. When we study the scriptures, we begin to see all three have the same attributes. And, and we conclude that we have three separate entities. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three under the banner of one God with all these qualities. And I love that they're omniscient. It, it's like... You know, it's, it's funny when, when your kid comes to you and says, I didn't do something, and you're like, I know you did. I know you did. You have the chocolate on your face. You ate the cookie, right? Same thing with God. We go, to, we go to God. He knows these things. He knows everything, but we get to go to him because he is our everlasting loving father. And when, when, we, when we talk about this, I, I've talked with people that have said, I don't understand this. This is too much. I cannot understand three separate but one God and all these, these, this is just too much for me. I don't get it. And what I would say is, good, I'm glad you don't get it. Because if we could get it, he wouldn't be worthy of being our God. There, there's a lot about, about God and him, his magnificence and his power that is so great that we can't comprehend because we are finite when he is infinite. And if we could put God in a box, if we could say, all right, I've got the whole thing understood, this is my God, I think we've made him smaller than he really is. 
He is bigger than all those things. And I think it's good that we can't feasibly comprehend everything about him because he is so big. Isaiah 55 says, his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. That can make it hard to comprehend, but I believe what the Bible says, 100%. And if the Bible says it, I'm in. I've got it. Even if I can't comprehend it, I believe it because I believe he inspired the Bible. He inspired this book. Isaiah 9, 6, I think it makes even more sense when we see that a son is given, a child is born, but he's called everlasting father. And this is threaded throughout scripture. In John 14, 9, Philip says to Jesus, show us the father. And you know what Jesus says to him? He who has seen me has seen who? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is telling him, me and God, we are one. I am God in the flesh. He is both a son and a father, a child of, of time when, with his time here on earth, but also the father of eternity. And Jesus fathers eternity for all who believe because he is eternal. Because he's eternal, he is the source of that eternal life. And, and that's what this is all about, right? We, we come here and we talk about receiving the Father, receiving this gift of Jesus, being filled with his spirit. And we want him to come in and encompass all our areas of need. Because in all reality, we, we as a broken people, we as a flawed people, we need that everlasting Father. We need that person who says, I'm going to be there for all time. In your lowest of lows, in your highest of highs, when you feel like you're alone, when you feel like there's nothing going right, he is the constant. He is the one that is always there. We needed a savior, a son, to come into the sinless life to, to be that sacrifice, to remove our sinfulness. And because he did that, we have access to and a relationship with the perfect father. Despite what our flawed perceptions may be of father figures, we have access to the perfect father. A relationship with a perfect father, a good father, a spirit that dwells within us, a father that makes us spiritually alive, and he guides us to places that we need to go. And so we're looking at Everlasting Father. Jesus came to reveal a lot of things to us. And in the first four books of the New Testament, we have a fancy word for that called the Gospels. We've got the Gospels, the story of Jesus, the good news of what Jesus came to do. They're written by Jesus' four, follow, four close followers, right? His earliest followers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And within these pages is this profound and powerful revelation, this, this writing, where the term Father is used all the time for God. And it's used 189 times in the Gospels. And in the book of John, you know how many times John says the word Father in relation to God? 124 of those 189 times, John writes it. No wonder John is considered one of the most intimate of the Gospels because he constantly is referring to God as his dad, as the Father. Galatians 4 and Romans 8 catch this powerful picture of God in this Aramaic word called Abba. This Abba Father is used to refer to God, and it's an endearing name. So a Palestinian child would use this for their father. It's a word like Papa, or a word like Daddy. This is my Abba Father. Now, when, when I hear the words Papa and Daddy, um, in my house, obviously, Daddy is used all the time. Daddy, Daddy. It's funny. Um, sometimes when my kids are upstairs, they'll yell, Daddy, and I'll be downstairs, and I'll yell, no, thank you. Just, you know, right off the bat. I don't even know what they're going to ask. That's just my response sometimes. But, but I, I, love, I do love hearing that, just the, the voice of my kids yelling, Daddy, Daddy. And Papa is used in my house. That's what uh, I called my grandpa before he passed away. We called him Papa. And that's what my kids now call my dad. Their grandpa is Papa. And when, we first, when they first started calling my dad Papa, I could see just the, the joy in my dad's heart. And his grandkids, they, they look at him, they say, this is my Papa. It, he loves it. And I love that my kids love it. And for my dad, you know, when 
If, if you're a dad and you have kids, there's something special about hearing that word. You know, it's the first thing you try to get your kids to say. You know, the mom's just saying, mama, and you're like, no, dada, 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 right? And luckily, the D is an easier phonetic sound than the M, so dada happens a lot often. Aurora, when she was little, it's, I, I kid you not, she said dada first, and then she would tease Stephanie. We'd be like, say mama, say mama, and she'd go, hmm, dada, and point right over at me. It was like, yes, got it. <laughs> There's something special about dad. And there's something special that we get to look at God and say, Papa, Dad, Father, he gets to be that for us. For many, though, it's challenging to see God this way. It's challenging to look up and say, this is my Papa, this is my Father. But that's because of what we may have seen or have not seen here on earth when it comes to a Father figure. Many people uh, have a negative view of fathers. And there is such a fatherless generation right now. Absent fathers, fathers that passed away, fathers that checked out and said no right off the bat. There is a huge amount. It, it's honestly heartbreaking if you look into it, how many people say, I do not have a father. It's hard. Some people had an absent father. Left before you ever knew him. Maybe that's you here today. A father that left, you never even knew who he was. Maybe you had a, a really good stepfather, but part of you still longed for, I just, I wish I knew my biological father. Some people miss that, and that's not always the case. I know that in my life, I have a father and a stepfather, and I'm incredibly blessed to say that my stepfather is a father to me, but I know that's not, that's not the norm, and that's not what everybody has. Some people have an abusive father. It's all too common of a story, an abusive dad. He hurt you. He left his, his mark on your life. Uh, maybe it wasn't physical abuse, but it was emotional and just painful times with dad putting you down and not lifting you up. Maybe a pain that you've never been able to express, but, but if you look at your life now, maybe you realize you have a hard time with men in general, or you have a hard time with, with a husband or just a man, but, but if you look back at it, maybe you can pinpoint, man, maybe this relates to the fact that I had an abusive man in my life growing up, and that's why this has shaped what I look at as dads now. Maybe some of you had a distant father. He was, he was there physically, but not emotionally. Present but not really present, if you know what I mean, in the room, but not in your life. Maybe he wasn't there to teach and, and help and guide or spend time, throw a ball, go to games, just in my house, it's paint your nails and have tea parties. Girl dads. But maybe, you, maybe the dad in your life wasn't doing that, wasn't that male figure you needed to, to affirm what you were doing, or a, a dad of daughters not affirming how beautiful you are, how precious you are, how special you, you are, and how you should not settle for a man who will treat you anything less than a daughter of God. Maybe you didn't have that example growing up, and, and you tried to get it from other people, and you looked to the world for what should a man be, and that leads to a damaging worldview of what a good man or a good father is. Maybe you cried out for a dad, but you didn't hear anyone answer. And because of how we've grown, and this isn't just outside the church, there are people inside the church that have a hard time viewing God as an everlasting father as well because of maybe a view of to them that was given of God in a church you grew up in. Maybe when you grew up in church, maybe a church told you God was the big judgmental guy in the sky. This was the guy where you would see like Ebenezer Scrooge, you picture him pointing down, I saw you do that. And that's the view of God you have one who's out to get you, one who's out to point out every mistake you had, and oh man, if you say one more thing, this lightning bolt's gonna get you. There are people that have that view of God. I can't make one mistake because God will punish me and he'll strike me down. Or maybe the church was on the far other extreme and you had God who was the big nice guy in the sky. 
You had God like divine Santa Claus. Like, you know what? I'm just going to ask for it, and God's going to give it, and it's going to come gift-wrapped and bowed, and that's what God's going to do for me. And he was just the guy who would give you anything you ask for. See, God doesn't lie on those extremes. God does call us out for things. God does give us good things, but he also guides us in a way that a good, loving father would do. There's, there's, you know, Christmas comes and goes every single year. And, and during this, this powerful time, and Christmas is, is a time that I love to see filled with joy, but I've also seen so many wounded people, broken people. I've seen people who have been abused and hurt through the years, unable to celebrate due to the, the impact of sin and failure. I've seen broken families. I know people who dread Christmas because that means family is coming, and that means relatives are coming, family and in-laws are coming, and it just turns into this disaster because of flawed people. But when we get to look at what scripture says, what Christmas is, and this joy that we get to have of knowing this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father in our lives, we get to see God's handiwork work through even the mess of our lives. We get to see the beauty of Christmas play out when we really look for it and we see all that he has his hand in. We get to see this wonderful, glorious event that is deeply spiritual as we focus on who our eternal one is. And the truth is this, no matter where you are in life, Everyone, everyone needs a daddy. Everyone needs a daddy. Everyone needs a papa. Everyone needs this, this father who will supply your needs, who will affirm your life, nurture your spirit. Someone who can look at you and say, I believe in you. I believe in you. That phrase does not tear you down, man. When, when you're in the lowest of lows, the hard times, when you have someone that comes alongside you and says, I believe in you, that can change everything. And that's what we have God doing for us. He believes in us. Even if you don't have an earthly father or earthly father is no longer here, Psalm 68, five says, God is a father to the fatherless. He's a father to the fatherless. And after, this, was, this came after that, after Psalm was written, Isaiah writes this thing saying, not only does God a father to the fatherless, but he's the everlasting father. And, and we, we've been breaking down, what does it mean for this title? If you want to break down the title, you know, word for word, Everlasting Father, what did he want us to imagine 700 years later after Isaiah wrote it? 700 years later when he was born, what does it look like? And better yet, what does it look like 2,700 years later when we get to today? From a technical standpoint, I don't know exactly what Isaiah was, was writing, or exactly what God was saying, why he was saying it, but I, but I can give you my best understanding on it. We've talked about the shaky times people lived in, the, the oppression they were in, the, the war with the Midianites that they had gone through, and now at, at this point when Jesus is born, the Romans are in control. There is shaky times. And I think when this was written, this was something to say, hey guys, we're in shaky times, but here's something you can cling to. Here's something you can believe in. Here's a word from God, and it is a really, really good word. This is what he's going to be. This is gonna be someone you can depend on. This is gonna be a father figure for you. God promises them. He says, this son is coming and a father is coming. And he says at first, the one who's coming is everlasting. In other words, when God says this, if he's everlasting, he is eternal, he has always existed, and he always will. He's always existed and he always will. And if you wonder about that one, look, look at this for a minute. There were some Jewish leaders that came when Jesus was, was doing his ministry and they started questioning him. And they're firing all these theological questions at him, trying to get him to trip up like they always did. Spoiler alert, it never worked. They never tripped him up. But at one point, Jesus almost says, like to lighten the conversation, he almost says something like, guys, lighten up, just be happy I'm here. He says it this way in John 8. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day he saw it and was glad. 
See what Jesus is doing here? He tells the, the, the leaders, he says, Abraham was excited of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So the leader, what he's saying here is, guys, I knew Abraham. I knew him. I personally knew Abraham. How well do you think this went over with the religious leaders? The ones who were trying to catch him in, in lies and, and things. They, they thought they caught him in a lie. They were like, oh, so, so you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said, and you have seen Abraham. They threw it right back at him. You know what Jesus says? Basically, yes. He says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. To understand the statement, know that the, the I am name was using, that God was using right here is the same name he used when he revealed himself to Moses. It's an amazing title, right? So he's telling them, guys, you know the scriptures. You know who I said I was. I am. He's telling them, you're right. I did know Abraham. I do know Abraham personally. They couldn't comprehend what he was saying. But God is making the most accurate statement you could possibly make about him. He is. He exists fully, everywhere, at all times. He has always been, he always will be, today and tomorrow. He is full existence, summarized, he is. So what is God? He is. In this statement, when John says, I am, he's saying, I'm not only older than Abraham, I've existed forever because I'm God. I'm eternal, I've always existed, I always will. I am the everlasting Father. Those two words, everlasting. He was born a child, yes? But look what happened when Jesus grew up. He cared for people like who's supposed to do in our lives. Like a father. He cared for us like a father does. He prayed for people like a father should. He was there for people. He was strong and dependable. Someone who believed and affirmed like a father does. You see, fathers, in the broad term, the fathers across the world, I think a good father has got to be present in the lives of their kid. Um, there's, they've got to, there's certain things they've got to do, certain places to hold for their kids. For example, fathers, I think, got to believe in their kids. Maybe some of us grew up with a father who didn't believe in you, and that's, that's, that can hurt. If you share your hopes and dreams with your dad and your dad says, no, that can hurt. Fathers got to believe in their kids. If you study the life of Jesus, you know what you find? You find someone who believed in his people. He believed and affirmed his people. Fathers ought to be firm, but loving, which is how Jesus handled people. He was firm when he called people out. He, he had this balance of grace and truth, but he was the perfect blend of grace and truth. He was able to call people out, but love them when he did it and point them in the right direction. Think fathers ought to provide out of a place where their, their children can derive an identity. So, so the kids can, can grow up with this heritage saying, I am, for, for my girls, I'm a Warford. My dad was a Warford. I'm proud to be a Warford. I have a long line of, of Warfords in my family. I can go back generations and say, yes, this is my family. We get to do that with Jesus. We get to say, I'm a Christian. A Christian, I am a Christ follower. And I get to go back generations all the way to the birth of Jesus to say, this is my family heritage. This is where my father came from. This is who he is. I am proud to be in this family because of who my father, what he's done for me, how he's raised, how he affirms and believes in me. I am proud of my lineage. We get to say that in our walk with Jesus. I'm proud to be a Christ follower. Fathers, uh, something I like to do, I, I like to be thinking about and planning for, for my, my kids' future. Not telling them what they have to do, but just think about what do I, how do I want to shape them? What are, what are values and morals that I want to instill in my kids and see them grow into these, right? 
I think fathers get to do that. In John 14, 1, Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. He's thinking about our future. What is he doing? He is going to prepare for us like a good father does. Set the table so his kids know where they're going, a place that they can believe in and go to. And there's a couple stories that illustrate the father, fatherliness of Jesus. One time Jesus is traveling up to Jerusalem, and as he's traveling, he gets word that King Herod wants him dead. That's not the most uplifting message you can get in a day. You know, someone goes, hey, such and such is hunting you down. They want to kill you. Doesn't really raise your spirits. Um, you know, just for some people, it could be like, you know, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. There's a guy in Jerusalem that wants to kill you. All right, never mind. We'll go to Jerusalem tomorrow. Or, or, or maybe never. <laughs> We're not going that way. Jesus doesn't do this, though. He, he, he doesn't even slow his step. He continues on this path to Jerusalem, and a few hours later, he gets to the top of this hill where he's overlooking the city, and in Luke 13, 34, this is what Jesus says when he comes. After he's got this message that they want to kill him, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and, stones, and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing." Can you hear the longing of a parent in those words? Like, Jerusalem, I long to gather you together. I want the best for you. I want you so bad. Jerusalem, you have no idea how much I care for you, how much I love you, even though there are those of you there who want me dead. I want you so bad. I want to scoop you up. I want to wrap you up. I want to kiss you and hug you. Even when you're pushing me, you're going, Dad, stop, stop. That's what Jesus wants. He wants us. Another time, Jesus gets word that a close friend of his is near death. And as he travels to this friend's house, his friend dies before he can get there. Word gets out that Jesus is about to get there, and, and his friend, this is Lazarus, his friend's sister Mary comes out. She comes out and she says, Jesus, he's dead. And she falls at Jesus' feet and she's sobbing. She says, you're too late, he's dead. And let me read you what happens next. In John 11, it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then, profound verse, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. It's very fatherly, I think. Very fatherly, it's how much he loved him. And when we, when we look at a manger... When you see the nativity set up and you see this manger and you see this child, know that he's tender, he's a child, but he's parental. He's the everlasting father. He has a fatherly love towards us, towards his kids that will never diminish, will never go away. It was there before we, were exist before we existed and it will be there long after. His, his eternity is there before and after. Last week, uh, we learned that, you know, um, the phrase mighty, mighty God and at the end of service, we had a moment where I, where I asked you all, I said, hey, let's close our eyes and put our, put our palms up and just kind of offer something to God. <clears throat> God, here's all the stuff that's troubling me. And I was reminded of one time where Aurora woke up in the morning. She told me she didn't want to go to school. She's like, Dad, I just, I can't go to school right now. And I was like, why? And, and if you don't know Aurora very well, she loves school. When, I mean, quarantine school did not do her well. She is an extrovert of extroverts. She wants to be in the crowd. She, she goes to school. She loves school. I love that it are, our house is becoming kind of the hub for neighborhood kids to come to play with Aurora. She is just, let me be with my people. That is Aurora. But she didn't want to go to school. And I was, one morning I was like, so Aurora, what's, what's going on? Why, why today? Why, why is today the day you don't want to go to school? And she kind of had this breakdown moment where she was like, I just have too much. 
I didn't have too much. She had her, her homework folder. She goes, I couldn't finish my homework. I have too much to do. I don't know what to do. I can't do it. And so I said, Aurora, do you, do you want my help with some of this stuff? She said, yes. You know what I told her to do? Ask. Ask me for help. I would love to help you with this. I'm not going to do all of your homework for you, but I absolutely will help you with this. We will get through this together. I will not let you fail. Let's do this together. And then she showed me her binder, and it was Common Core Math. And I said, wait a second. Retract this for a minute. But I asked Aurora, I said, give me your binder. Give me your folder. Let's see what's troubling you. Let's do this together. Last week, some of us were able to give our binders to God. We were able to say, you know what, God, here it is. This is what's troubling me. This is what's bogging me down. You know what the next step is, though? Let him wrap his arms around you and hold you for a minute. When you give that to him, don't just say, all right, God, here it is. I need your help. Say, God, here it is, and just let him embrace you. Let him say, I've got you. I've got this. Let's do this. Listen to those words again. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I often have longed to gather your children together as hen gathers her chicks under her wings. In, in your mind's eye, if you want, just, just close your eyes and just, just, just imagine that moment where you get to go to God and say, God, here it is, and let him hug you. Let him just say, you're my child. I'm your daddy. I've got you. Imagine his arms around you. Imagine if you can, maybe just that, that shoulder, that weight off your shoulders just lifting up if you have that sigh of relief. I think we can all remember a moment maybe in our lives where we went to, maybe it was a mom or dad or someone who, who held you and you just felt like you could just melt because you knew they were holding you. Let that be God for you today. Let him be the one where you can say, I'm just gonna collapse in your arms and you've got me. I love that God gets to be our forever father. He gets to overwhelm us in such amazing ways. And let that happen this Christmas season. Let him overwhelm you. A couple things to note as we close. We have a tender heavenly father. He is a tender heavenly father who loves us. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, make under the law to redeem them that were under the law, so we might receive the adoption of sons. God uses this picture of adoption to say, you are in my family. I know there are people here today that have adopted kids, and they have wonderful relationships with their, their kids. And Pastor Terry, you know, my, my pastor, friend, and mentor back in California, he adopted two sons, and he would share often about how, what a joy it was that those boys call him dad. He's their dad. And, and we get to do this with God. We are adopted into his family. We may not have been born immediately from a fleshy human Jesus or God, but he adopts us into his family. He gets to be our dad. The Greek word translated is huothesia, and huos meaning son, and thesis meaning position. So this word saying we are taking the position of a son, in him taking that position of our dad. Jesus coming to the world, he took our position on the cross so that we could take his position as the son and daughter of God. This is how we get to enter God's family. It speaks of our privilege of coming into this amazing relationship with him, but we see it in terms like of adopting like a little baby. <clears throat> we get to receive them into our home, receive them into our hearts, receive them into our love. And it's not just little babies. This biblical concept goes for everybody. Adults, no matter where you are in life, you get to be adopted into the family of the everlasting father. And we have all the rights and privileges of God to be in his family. And I think all too often people feel like, 
well, at this point in my life, not only do I not feel like I'm worthy, but I feel like I can't do it. I'm, I'm too old at this point to, to enter this new relationship with God. Or, or maybe I've only, I've only been doing this for a year. I don't think I'm quite ready to take that step in, but I, I, I can't get involved in ministry yet. You know, I, I'm, I'm new to this thing. I, I can't jump in. Um, I just want you to know you are so wrong. So wrong. God wants you as you are right now, wherever you are. He's got you. He wants you. He loves you. He wants you to serve. He wants you all in the day you say you're in. He wanted you all in before the day you said you're in. He wants you. You are a full-fledged son or daughter of God, and you have just as much standing with God that day you give your life to him as Billy Graham did throughout his ministry. You have that standing. You are his child. And because of this relationship, you get to call out to him. You get to say, Papa, Dad, Father, I want you the intimate relationship that we have, and he responds every single time. The book of Galatians brings about um, legalism of people that were getting back into and missing the freedom of God that, that they, they were missing from their life, and Paul is bringing them back in, bringing it full circle, saying this is really what you're missing in this relationship, and he says, therefore, you're no longer a slave but a son. I think some, sometimes too many people try to relate to, to God on the basis of being a slave instead of a son or daughter to him. And this leads to a religion relationship instead of a relationship with God. I know that, that my kids, I, I, I do have fun with them at home and I say, you know, you have to do whatever I say because I'm in charge and you're not. But they're not my slaves, they're my kids, I love them. I want them to love me because I want most of the time to love them, right? I love my kids, but when we have this with, with God, it leads to a, a relationship of freedom with God. Now, I, I imagine Stephanie marrying me. Now, imagine if Stephanie married me and she said something along the lines of, I'm going to do the laundry, the dishes, and, and we'll clean, and thing, things are going to be good around the house, but I don't really want to love you or have an intimacy or grow with you at all. I'm just going to kind of be here. Wouldn't it be pleasant. That would be, that'd be horrible, Right? Like, I don't want a house cleaner. I don't want someone just to be at home. I want, I want my wife. I want someone I'm going to grow with, someone that I'm going I'm to share myself with, someone that I get to be in love with and do life with. But I think so many of us end up in this place with God. We say, all right, God, you're going to come in. You're going to check this box, check this box, check this box. But then we forget about the growing part. We forget about the sharing part, the intimate part, the father-child, this relationship that we get to have with God. I don't want any of our relationships to be a stale checklist with God. I want them to be a growing relationship with a loving father. And what moves me is when you read in John 15 where it says this, he chose me. Let that phrase sit with you for a second. God wasn't assigned to you. You weren't assigned to God. He chose you. He chose me. He hand-selected me to be in his family. <clears throat> he picked me. He picked a rebel. He picked a sinner. He picked someone who had some amazing times, someone who's done some horrible things, someone who has lied before, someone who has stolen before. He chose me and said, I want you, Dustin. It's special when someone chooses you, isn't it? I know when, when I played baseball, um, I, I made the all-star team. But when I, when I got to talk with the coach, the coach had kids from multiple different cities, multiple different teams, and he had to pick a roster of 15 kids to fill his baseball team, and I got picked to be on the team. That was a really special thing for me, to know that, that he saw my stats. I mean, it was pretty easy to see how good I was, but he saw how good I was, right? He saw my stats, he saw my, my work ethic, he saw what I was doing, and he chose me to be on this team. That was special. 
Being chosen for something is really, really cool. It's really, really special. And because he chose me, and he said, you know, out of all these, things, of all these players, Dustin, I want you on the team. You know what, it want, what I wanted to do because of that? I wanted to work hard for him. I, wanted, I, I didn't want to let him down. I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work even harder. I'm on this new team. I'm going to be around talent that's even greater than mine. Hard to believe, but it was there. But I had to work hard, and I wanted to work hard because I, I wanted to make him happy. I wanted to make him proud. I wanted to know that he didn't make a mistake in choosing me. I've got this, and I wanted to get better. John makes it clear in his Gospels that an expression of love is seen when we look at God and we say, God, I want to do this for you. Not just, I have to do this, but we say, God, you chose me. Because you chose me, I want to love you. I want to serve you. God, I want to do these things because you chose me. We have a consistent and faithful heavenly father, and he chose you. Hebrews 12 speaks of his faithfulness to us. Despite the good times and bad times, he constantly forgives. He constantly disciplines, just like a good, everlasting father should. We see God isn't a pushover, but he's consistent. He forgives sins never to remember, but his love is proven through the discipline that we get. God's not punitive, he's corrective. He's not mad, but he wants the best for you. He's not restrictive, he's redemptive. He wants to get you where you need to be. And he disciplines, but it's not confrontational, it's consequential. There's a great story um, I heard years ago that Pastor Terry actually shared this story about a man named Evie Hill. And this is a, big, a man who passed away a number of years ago, but this large African-American man with this booming voice told this story about he and his daughter. And, and he had these, these rules in his home, and his daughter's growing up, and as his daughter turned into a teenager, they started clashing over house rules. She didn't want to follow a lot of the rules, and, and one day she came up to him, she said, Dad, you have this value of family and church, and I want to talk about these. So dad says, all right, let's go into my office and we'll talk adult-like. Which is, you know, she was a teenager, so it's kind of oxymoron there. But they went and she says this. And she says, daddy, I'm going to leave as soon as I graduate because I'm tired of your old-fashioned dictatorial ways, your standards and values in this home that I've had to live under for 17 years. Before too much time passed, she realized that she would need her daddy when it came time for college. She was going to need some help. So she came back and she said, all right, Dad, I know what I said. I need some help with college. So Evie Hill told this to his daughter. He said, sweetie, let's go back into my office and talk adult-like again. Let's work out a compromise. What are we going to do? So he looks across his desk and he says this to her. He says, for this to happen, you want my help with college and all the support's going to come with it. Here's what I need you to check with me and then do these things. Do what I say. Do when I say it. For how, and do it how I say it for as long as I say it. Do these things, and I'm going to give you the best that I have. The absolute best way I can love and support you, you've got it. You'll have a home to sleep in. You'll have help with college tuition. But I'm going to help you choose these paths. I'm going to help you direct you on this path, but I'm going to support you the best I have if you can do these things. So he pulled out the contract and says, but I want you to sign this. Say you're going to do these things. So do what I say, when I say, how I say, and I will help you do these things. It was apparent that she was a tad resentful and she reserved, she was, didn't know, but he signed it. Now, she would come home on weekends from college and she would ask to do things and go places and sometimes dad would say, hey, that's great. And sometimes he goes, sometimes he would say, no, nope, not gonna do that. And there would be some more tension, you can't go. And at times uh, she'd push back and she'd get ready to go and he would get the contract and say, hey, 
you still want help with all these things, I still get to, I, have, I, have a, I say in this, you've got to follow my lead on these things. And she would get upset, but she wouldn't rescind. She still followed the contract. This went on for four years for her first degree. And it was time to graduate. She said to her dad, she said this, dad, you've done so much for me. It was not always easy, but always the best. And it was for me to help grow me up. And I love you so much for how you loved me. You watched me, you stood up to me and you cared for me. Man, if my daughter says that to me one day after college is all said and done at that point, man, I'll feel like, yes, yes, we did it. She understands why I was saying these things. It was never punitive. It was never just to be a, a mean dad. It was because I love her and I want the best for her. So no doubt he was thrilled, but then she surprised him. She said, dad, I need you to write up another contract. Now that I'm done with this first phase of college, I'm ready to go to law school and I need your help and I can't possibly do it without you. So Evie Hill says this, he quotes, I didn't figure on this 30 more thousand dollars a year. But she came up to him and she said, but daddy, I will do what you say, when you say it, how you say it, for as long as you say it. So he reached into his faith reserve and he drew up another contract. He did this and at the end, he was so proud of her and he was so proud of the relationship they had. She went on to practice law she still lived at home during this time. It was one way that he could support her. And then now she's in her mid-20s. She meets a guy and she says, Dad, I'm going to go out on a date. I'm going to be out tonight. I'll be home around 1 a.m. And he said, baby, you're a young woman now. You don't need to let me know when you're going out, when you're going to be home. You're in your mid-20s. I trust you. You got this. I know, what you, I know you know what you're doing. But she simply said this. She said, Daddy, I know you know, but I want to tell you that. The relationship had been, it got to that point where she was an adult off doing her own thing, but she wanted him to be in the loop. She wanted his advice. She wanted him to know what was going on because she loved him and respected him and he was able to instill those values in her. Some people say often, Christianity is just mindless religion, but, but when you understand what it is, it's not just a set of rules. It is a relationship with an everlasting father one who loves you, one who we get to say, God, because you love me, I want to tell you all these things. Amen? I'd like to invite the worship team up and have you um, stand with me as we come to a close this morning. Truth is, none of us have been raised by sinless parents. Every one of us has, we, we all have parents, we wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> but, but every one of us has parents that have sinned, that have messed up somewhere down the road. However, yours, however your parents were, whether they were cruel, whether they were neglectful or abusive or, or inept, or maybe they were awesome. Maybe they were good. They were great. Know that your deepest needs aren't met just by earthly parents. Our deepest needs are met by our father who was there before we were even considered, before we were thought about. He was there and he had our needs in his mind. This Christmas message, this, this Christmas prophecy that Isaiah had, when this child is coming, the message was for them then today, for them then, and it is for us today. We get to have an everlasting father who loves us, who cares for us, who says, hey, here's what I want you to do. When we do those things, we see how he loves us through it. When we see the heart of the everlasting father, you'll want to do what he says, when he says it, how he says it, because we know it will always be for our best interests. Christmas is not just an event, not just the day of the week. It's a lifestyle, and we get to worship the birth of our everlasting Father. Amen.
Jesus, thank you for being our everlasting Father. Thank you that you were always there. I thank you that you love us so much, God, that, that when, when we come to understand more of this, we get to say, God, I will do, I'll do what you say, I'll do when you say it. I'm gonna do it how you want it done for as long as you want me to because we can see that your plans are the best, you wanna grow us, and you love us better than any father anyone ever could. We thank you for that. We thank you for this season. Thank you, loving. Everybody said, amen.